Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Did you know there's actually a company that will help you find and purchase your first or next short-term rental? The Short-Term Shop is the premier short-term rental acquisition company. They have a team of realtors with tons of experience, and most of them actually own their own properties as well. They are the best in the business and would be happy to help you with your next purchase. You can find them at theshorttermshop.com, brokered by eXp. TheShortTermShop.com. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Short Term Show. I have a really cool guest today who I'm not sure why we haven't had on up until now. He's been around, I, I would say he's the OG, if not one of the OGs of the vacation rental education space. So I've been investing in vacation rentals since 2015 and I've seen his name as long as I've been around. So anyway, it's not about me. It's about Sean Moore with Vodacy. Sean, you want to introduce yourself to our our guests, I mean, our uh, listeners real quick, even though they probably know who you are. Awesome, Avery. I appreciate you having me. I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm shocked we haven't gotten together and done this sooner. And, uh, and I'm super excited about our conversation today. It's uh, it's not that often because there's so many people that have come into this space um, in the last couple of years that I, I feel like you're one of the OGs as well. So it's really fun to talk to somebody with as much experience as you guys have and what we're doing on the vacation rental side, seeing the market shift around a little bit. So I think we're going to have a fun conversation. Yeah, I think we are too, for sure. So Let's talk about your background and, and where you own and what you own. We'll get into Vodacy later in the show. Sure. I'm sure people have questions about that. So what do you own? Where do you own? When did you start? Let's start there. Yeah. So I, I've been investing in real estate since two, and since 2020. I mean, so 24 years now. It's my 24th year. That's all I've ever done. Um, and so I got into the short-term rental space. I bought my first one in 2006. And I really started getting serious about it around 2013, 14. And, and since then, we've really we've really taken our entire portfolio over. I don't own any other asset classes at this stage. That's all I, that's all I own. Um, we're spread out quite a, I mean, we're pretty well represented across the country. I've got a few in Idaho, Utah. I've got them down in Georgia, Florida, Texas. And so we've got, we've got some properties in a number of different markets, um, all vacation markets. I like, I like investing around national parks, around state parks. That's kind of my, that's kind of my jam is just to get out and, and do more of the outdoor type of a, a experience for our guests. But, yeah, we've uh, there's there's so many good markets out there for vacation rentals, but for us, I kind of I kind of like the uh, the national parks, state parks st stuff. So so we kind of spread out in those areas. Okay, awesome. Very very similar to what I like to do. Also, yeah. so you've been around for a really long time here, and so you've kind of you've seen a a number of market cycles, b a number of influencers move into and out of the space. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts about this because I've noticed this, and maybe you have too, that a lot of the people who have built real wealth and in terms of buying and holding, not flipping, not you know jumping around a lot in the short-term rental space are investing specifically in vacation rentals in those vacation type areas that you mentioned. Yeah. What's been your experience there? What have you noticed? Yeah, I, I think that there's, there's a one 
vacation rentals when I started were not a very mainstream asset class. And it was almost by accident when I kind of got into them. And it was in a vacation market. It was, it was kind of a, I call it kind of a, a backyard resort community of Salt Lake. Like it, it regionally, everybody knows regionally this market, but outside of the, outside of the region, nobody really knew it. But during the slide, I actually got to see how a vacation rental would perform during the the, the Great Recession, you know, from 2008, 9, 10. And I really, that's what really opened my eyes to this. However, it would not have done that same thing if it wasn't in a vacation market and if it wasn't in a, like a resort type of a destination. Um, and so, and I truly believe that now that short-term rentals today have become so mainstream and have become so, so popular, you have a lot of people who want to convert other assets to short-term rentals. And I think it's a mistake because a lot of people come to us and say, hey, I've got this asset. It's underperforming. It's not doing what I thought it was going to do. And there was this short period of time right after COVID. And you know, this is, is that there's a lot of people that don't realize this was a blip time frame in the market. This was an anomaly where everybody with a short-term rental, it didn't really matter the market was making money because everybody was really kind of trying to get away and have these, you know, the, the, the reality was this, the demand far exceeded supply. And, but it was only for like a two-year period, right? It was like having toilet paper during COVID. Everybody mm -hmm. made money. And so everybody felt like they were geniuses. You could convert other asset classes. But like I said, I've been investing for 20, 24 years now. And when I would go by and I would do a lot of development deals and we would do build jobs and we would do different you know, commercial properties, we would do different multifamily deals. We do single family properties. You had to be very intentional about what you were going to do with that piece of property. And- what happened with short-term rentals being so popular for so long is they were just, they were kind of the flavor of the month for a while, right? And everybody thought that no matter what you did, as long as it was a short-term rental, it was going to underwrite and it was going to perform well. That's not the case. And historically, there are other markets that work outside of short-term rental market or vacation markets, but historically short-term rentals are, are for vacationers, right? And so if you're going to hedge hedge your bets and you're going to stack the odds in your favor, one, you're going to have typically more favorable regulations in those markets because they want you there, right? Those markets typically want you there. Even if they're, even if they have signed a moratoriums, like we're seeing and some of the things on capping some licenses, as long as you can get the licenses, you're going to be okay. You go into some urban markets where short-term rentals kind of started becoming popular back when I was starting. It was, it was, it was really more the urban markets. Well, they don't want them there, right? There's this, there's affordable housing is a problem. And so a lot of those, those bigger cities are left-leaning. They're going to be very pro, hey, listen, we need to have more affordable housing. We don't like short-term rentals. We think it's screwing everything up. So you're going to have a lot more problems there. But also, they're the, the, it's not typically the highest and best use of the asset. And because, and that's why I think if you, at the very simple level, at the foundational level, the vacation markets, the destination markets, they work well for what we're doing, right? It's that this asset class is built for that type of a market. And that's where I think as an investor, those are the only markets I invest in. Those are the only markets I own in because I feel like my long-term upside, my even my short-term upside is much greater in those vacation markets than it is in some of these other or in these other markets that you're just trying to make a short-term rental, you know, work, if you will. And and so I, I just I, I've always had really good success there. You in our game, Avery, you know this as well as I do, is is we're not selling real estate. We're selling experiences. And 
you can you create an experience you know for the you know the corporate traveler and everything else yeah you can there's no, there's not there's people that have success in that but they're fewer and farther between than you will find people that are able to create great experiences in, in vacation destinations i know that's kind of long-winded but i just believe at the foundational level this asset is built for those types of markets i i totally agree with that and i agree with the the urban market thing, or even just, you know, like the suburban market thing that will take me, for example, I live in a vacation destination in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. Yep. The entire economy here depends on vacation rentals. Yes. Um, and there's really no hotels. There's a few, but all of the several million tourists a year that come here, they stay in vacation rentals. Now there are about 10,000 of us that live here full time. And I, knowing that I live and bought my house in a vacation destination, still don't really want a short-term rental right next door to me with a bunch of people coming in and out where I'm trying to raise my little kids and I don't know anybody. So I get that about urban and suburban markets. They, aside from the short-term rentals causing housing afford affordability problems, like Nashville, for example, I used to live in Nashville. People were buying these houses in what used to be quiet streets turning them into where, you know, people are trying to raise their kids, turning them into yep. bachelorette party places. And then there's like penis balloons everywhere. And you're having to explain yeah. to your five-year-old, you know, yeah. I get yep. that, which is why, and I started in Nashville. Like we didn't, we only ever owned long-terms there, never short-terms. But I saw that back then in 2013 was when I bought my first long-term that, Hey, I don't really think there's just a lot working against this here. So let's go find somewhere where it's the normal thing for when people go there that they're going to stay in a vacation house and not a hotel. And me, I've I have gotten stoned on this on my own Facebook group before, not the good kind of stoned. We're saying that like if I'm going, if I'm traveling for a conference and I'm going to a big metro area, I am booking myself a nice hotel. I'm going to be away from my kids. I'm getting room service like that. But if I'm going anywhere on vacation, we're getting a vacation rental. So it is, people try to make them be kind of the same things and, oh, we're competing against hotels. I don't want to compete against hotels. No. I'm never going to bring somebody room service. So yeah. I 100% I agree just to kind of piggyback off some of the stuff that you said that I really do think, especially over time, as regulations are passed, et cetera, in urban markets, that vacation rental real estate is only going to become more valuable to invest in because it just lends itself to what we're doing here better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, and I, I think you hit on a really important point that a lot of people ask us. In fact, I was just talking about this on, on my podcast with a guest literally last week is hotels and vacation rentals are two totally separate assets and, and two totally, they serve two totally separate needs. Everybody was worried that vacation rentals in the hotel business, like, oh, we're disrupting the industry. Hotels are done. They're over. And now they're saying, you know, oh, our hotel is going to, you know, shut down vacation rentals. It, they're, they're separate and they're both mainstream. They serve different purposes. Like you said, if I go with my kids and I'm on vacation, I want extra bedrooms. I want the the living rooms. I want the full kitchen so that we can cook in. But if I'm going on in and out of cities on work trips and, and corporate stuff, and I've got to go to a conference, I'm staying at the hotel. And you're exactly right. They're, they serve two different needs. It It's a pain in the butt to go to a conference. We're both going to be at a conference next week. And I'm not staying in a short-term rental. I'm staying where the conference is because we got to be there. We got to speak. We're doing things. And so we're just, you know, you're. It, it, they serve different purposes. They're not, it's not one or the other. And so, right. and I think that's an important point as well. In most of your big major urban markets, go to Vegas or go to Nashville and these areas, they have a lot of 
of options when it comes to hotels. There's a lot of destination markets that you don't have a lot of options hotel-wise. And so that's another reason your competition is going to be other short-term rentals in a lot of these destinations, especially those backyard resort communities that have become so, I mean, the accessibility and being able to stay in some of those, some of those regional markets that are you know, it's not Santa Rosa Beach, right? Everybody knows some of those markets and those major markets. Even those markets are, are they lack a little bit on the hotel side, but you go into like Bear Lake, Utah, where I have my first one, there's no hotels, right? If you want to go there, you're staying in a vacation home. And, and so that's really good because now I'm the only game in town, right? Obviously we have competition, there's other, other properties, but it's the only option for people to come into that market and enjoy it. And, and that's one of the beautiful parts about short-term rentals becoming so mainstream back when I was doing it, man, it was, I mean, Airbnb wasn't even around. We were doing local classifieds. We were using Craigslist like crazy up until about, I mean, we were really still using Craigslist up until like 2015-ish. And then we started to really start getting into the OTAs and, and understanding direct bookings. But it was, you know, the accessibility as a traveler in these destination markets, these vacation home markets is, is just exploded. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really agree with that. Now, my next question surrounding this is everybody's favorite word to use when it comes to vacation rentals the past few years is saturated. Actually, they like to use the word oversaturated, which really bothers me because something is either saturated or it's not oversaturated. It's kind of redundant. Anyway, that's me being yeah. a dork. So here's my question. Do you think that certain markets are A, saturated, or B, we're just an established asset class now? Pre-COVID, we were early adopters. Now we're established. What do you? What's your experience with that? 100% the latter. Uh, it, we are, this is short-term rentals are a mainstream asset. Anything that is mainstream, I don't care whether you're selling mattresses, whether you're a real estate agent, whether you have, whether we have vacation rentals. Once it's, once it's a mature market, it is going to always be saturated. And saturation to me is an indication of demand. You're not going to get oversaturated or saturated, like whatever people want to call it, right? Is you're not going to get a saturated market with lack of demand. So as a marketer, as somebody that says, hey, listen, I'm going to buy quality assets. I know how to set them up. I know how to market them. I get really excited about that because it's a lot easier to get your unfair share of business when the demand is there than go and try to create demand where it's not. And I've done both. And I can promise you it's way harder to create demand when it's not. So trying to find emerging markets and trying to find, like I, I always, I always kind of just shake my head and, and laugh under my breath a little bit when everybody's putting out the list of the new undiscovered markets that aren't saturated. I mean, it's saturate. That means there's not demand there. There's not a lot of people going there and there might be, maybe there's something new coming and maybe you're going to, maybe you're going to create demand, but we are in the stage now where these markets are going to stay saturated. This is mainstream, yeah. right? And any saturation that you have, any market that is mature, it, the Pareto principle is there for a reason. The top 20% of the market is going to make 80% of the money. And, and I don't care what business you look at. I don't care what industry you look at. And now short-term rentals are part of that. The, anything that is mainstream and mature is going to make the top of the market makes all the money. And, and that's just where we're at. I mean, and it's not changing. It's not going away. Yeah. Yeah. I 100% I agree with that. So like, I had recently, we had a client who wanted to buy something in Panama City Beach. And she said, I'm going to come visit. We said, great. And she went to book. It was also, this was last February. So total off season at the beach. And she went to look and she was like, oh my God, I don't want to buy here. <laughs> and we're like, what? And she said, there's so many rentals on Airbnb. I don't want to buy here. There's too many people here. And we're like, but yes, 
But this town of 10,000 people gets 8 million visitors a year. And if you take a look at all those listings, 85% of them, I always tell people this, like just what you said about the demand, markets get saturated because there's a lot of people that go there. And when you look at what your competition is, so there's going to be 50% of them, especially in big vacation markets that have been around a long time, like the Smoky Mountains or like a Panama City, there are going to be 50% of the listings on old school property management companies that have been around since the eighties. They haven't changed anything. They don't pay attention to anything. They're doing it the same way. Then you probably got another 25% of people that are either self-managing or have a a manager who is, you know, where they need to be in terms of knowing what they're doing, but the properties just have something wrong with them. Not necessarily that they're a bad property, but they, you know, have like at the beach, still have like wicker and rattan furniture everywhere or look very like 2005. I think 2005 was the last like big update period where a lot of stuff was built. So a lot of things still look like that kind of olive garden decor that needs to be updated. So you're really not, you're not competing with the entire market is what I'm trying to say. No. And, and that's the, that's the most exciting thing about the short-term rental market. It's a multi-billion dollar industry that still is run by a whole bunch of mom and pops that use grandma's cabin and try to make a little bit of money with it. And so you can, you can, like you said, you almost, you almost immediately just by, just by raising the bar a step or two, you almost immediately eliminate 75% of the the inventory out there. And now like and then once you once you really start to raise the bar, I always tell people it is way easier to operate in the top of a market and it's way less crowded at the top of the market than it is in the middle of the market because that's where you feel that saturation is right in the middle of the market. Everybody's competing on price, everything else. In the absence of value, you have to compete on price. And so if you don't do a good job of being able to articulate what you have, set it up, create a unique experience, sure, you're going to struggle. And those people that if you're like, if you're listening to this, and and I mean this with all sincerity and, and like just niceness, right, is if you are worried about saturation, all you're doing is saying, hey, I'm willing to roll the dice and ride the wave. And because... If you're if if you're worried about it, you just have to say, okay, what is it going to take to operate in this market, and how am I going to get my own fair share of business of that demand of those dollars being spent? Because they are there's a lot of dollars being spent right now in this game, and it continues to go up. And everybody said it was going down. Everybody said the Airbnb bust. When you look market by market, how much money is being spent in this game? Now your fair share of business has gone down because inventory has gone up. So if you're just going to ride the wave and get your fair share of business, it might not be the right game to play in because of the economics of it, right? There are better assets to play if you're just going to ride the wave. And But short-term rentals, the upside is so huge. And so if you're worried about saturation, start to say, okay, why am I worried? You know, if it's just strictly the numbers, then you're saying, okay, I'm just trying to get my fair share of business. That means you don't want to play the game at a high level. And it's probably maybe not the right game to play. Yeah, I agree with that. And and if you're worried about the fact that other people are doing it, I mean, we own apartment buildings and long-term rentals and people don't say, oh, don't buy apartment buildings. Those are saturated Yeah, because they've been an established asset class for so long. Yes. That that's not something, that, you know, I think the I think the first apartment building was like in the Roman Empire or something. Yeah. Um, they, yeah. So we know it's saturated, but now we don't care, right? Give it another three to five years and nobody's going to care about the saturation in short-term rentals because it's just going to be what it is. Yeah. And I think it's kind of like, you know, if you look at the dot-com boom, I think people are like, oh, well, I didn't invent Google. So we're not doing websites anymore because websites exactly. are saturated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, well, here's another thing that I, I saw people get in trouble with 
or still get in trouble with. You mentioned lists that whether it's data companies or the big property management companies put out every year. And every year it kind of like makes my eyeball twitch a little bit when those come out, because what happens is they put these lists out and people go, okay, I'm going to buy there. But there's zero context and the potential of uh, the people reading the readers don't necessarily go get the context. So a great example, Navarre, Florida, it's right down the street for me. It's on every single list has been for a long time. But the thing about Navarre is the land is kind of shaped like a C there's a big bay in the middle. Yeah. So there's Navarre proper. And then there's Navarre beach. Navarre beach is where you make your money is on the Gulf. It's got the crystal clear water. It's got the sand, the white sand, everything. That's where everything is. But people, I've had three or four people who did not buy with the short-term shop because we would have told them not to do this, but they'll buy on the Bay side and say, hey, I, I can't figure out why am I not even breaking even on this? And I'm like, and it's the worst conversation to have because it's like, oh, there's nothing you can really do because it's on the Bay. And they're like, but it's on the water. Some people want to be at the Bay. I'm like, no, they don't. Like, they take these lists and these data sets and things and they don't apply any common sense about or come visit the market even to see, okay, well, I see from having visited the market that it takes three hours on a weekend to get across the bridge to get to Navarre Beach and that maybe I shouldn't buy on that side of the bridge because my guests don't want to drive there. They will they will stay in a junkier property on Navarre Beach before they will stay on the other side for cheaper and have to sit in three-hour traffic to get to the beach. So... <clears throat> I think that's maybe a good segue into your underwriting process. And yeah. I see, I, th I see a lot of people now that there's lots of like guys in California who will look at the data and never been to a market and tell you what to buy. And I've seen people get in trouble doing that with the example I just gave you, or maybe a cheap, a cheap property in a good area, a good market, but it's in a bad area of yeah. that market. So on paper, it looks great. But then when you get there, it's like, your reviews are going to be terrible because there's junky everything yeah. everywhere. So I'd love to hear. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is something that I get really passionate about is really underwriting and understanding the numbers. If you're going to invest in anything, you really ought to understand how to look at the numbers. And that should not come from a plug and play software tool. I don't care which one is out there. And we use, we use a lot of them, right? We look, we cross check our data on a lot of different tools and all of them have Hey, plug your address in, Plug the, plug the bedrooms in, and then we'll tell you how much you're going to make. That's not how underwriting short-term rentals works. And there's a, there's a revenue range in every market that's fairly wide. And the first step for us is identifying what the property goals, because we like the, Avery, you and I could underwrite properties and look at the exact same numbers, but based on our property goals and what we're trying to do with our portfolio and what we're trying to add to it and build, the, there's things on there that are going to help us make decisions that our portfolio might look completely different, even though we're underwriting the same way. Right. And so, but one of the, after we identify that market that works for our property goals, I always say it's critical to the, the first part of my underwriting is I need to team up with an expert agent. And, and I bring this up before we start running the numbers because of just what you said. I own a brokerage in Utah. I bought a lot of real estate over the years. And, um, you know, you own a brokerage. When you go into a different market that you're not in, my guess is you probably hire agents in those markets. I find the best local agents who understand what I'm doing for the exact reason that you just mentioned. Before I even want to run the, the numbers, I need to know every area has a wrong side of the track area, right? There's a, there's a road that's dividing the area or there's a beach that is dividing it. And you're like, hey, listen, this looks on the map like it's really 
really good. And it looks like it's really close. I have a property and I knew this when I bought it, but it, it, it looked way better on paper than like, it looked like this crazy deal in Destin, but it's because it, it looks like it's a, it's a block away from the beach. It's across the street from the beach. Problem is the other side of the road is a resort and there's no deeded beach access in this community that I bought in. It was really cheap. I cash flow really well with it, but it's nowhere near what those num the numbers spit out on you know, a lot of the, a lot of the software tools that you're putting in there, right? I mean, it makes, it makes less than half. We knew that, but we also bought it really cheap and it's a good cash flowing property, but there's no beach access. But if I was inexperienced and I had to hit those numbers and I looked at that and I'm like looking at the map thinking, Hey, this is pretty awesome. I'm in Utah. This is a block from the beach. I'm, I'm right there. Well, I'm not really, you know, I have to drive 10 minutes to even get to public beach access in that area. And having a good local agent that knows the area and knows the right side of the tracks, the wrong side of the streets, whatever that is, to be able to say, this is where people want to be. You're probably going to pay a little bit more for that, right? But you, you, that you can't, that can't be replaced. That local knowledge is not something you're going to find on any data tool out there. And, and so, really starting there and then looking at the right that, you know, and, and I'm not saying that my way of underwriting is the right way. For me, it's the right way. I identify what's important to me and how we identify occupancy, how we identify the range in rates across the board, how we identify how much money is being spent in the market to see if the market's going up or going down. We talked about demand before. That's what I'm looking for, right? How much demand is there? Is it is it going up? Is it going down? What is my re revenue range look like? And then I have to identify with, my, with that local expert, say, okay, based on proximity to different things, based on where I'm located, based on the different things in the, the locale that it can't be, that I can't, I can't guess that on a software tool just by putting in a number. And then also what kind of experience am I going to put together? Where am I going to land on that revenue scale? Am I going to be toward the top? Am I going to be in the middle? Am I going to be toward the bottom? Because every property is different. You can't just assume, well, I know what I'm doing, so I'm going to be at the top. No, you're not. You could be in the market. You just said you could be on the on the bay. All the top performing properties are going to be on the Gulf. And so you can't underwrite the water the same way. Right. And so we have to be able to identify if I'm like you said, if I'm in California, come to Florida, buying in that beach, it just looks like a beach. I'm like, whatever, uh, you know, it's water. I'll, I'll underwrite it at the top. And all of a sudden you get in trouble and you walk into a buzzsaw, you underwrite wrong, incorrectly. And you say, oh, crap, I can't I can't even service my debt on this property, let alone make any money. And and that's the problem when you don't dive into the numbers. And we like as an investor, I don't let anybody else underwrite my own deals. I worked with Thank some you. of them. Thank the you. best agents in the world. And they <laughs> don't underwrite the deals for me. I underwrite my own deals every time. This episode of The Short Term Show is brought to you by The Short Term Shop. 30-year fixed mortgages, tax benefits, and long-distance management training made easy are just a few of the perks of owning a short-term rental. The Short-Term Shop can help you buy and learn how to manage your property from anywhere in the world. Just go to theshorttermshop.com and click Get Connected. Again, that's theshorttermshop.com, and we are brokered by eXp. See y'all over there. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the content of our podcast, but you have additional short-term rental questions, we host a weekly live question session that you guys can join for free. It's at 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. And if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up. So not only am I the host of this show, but I also own and manage my own properties. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. So please join us anytime for a free weekly live Q&A on Zoom. Sign up at strquestions.com. 
I 1000% agree with that. You should never let an agent write, underwrite your deals for you no. because they're not you. A, yes. there's all kinds of things. I, I have so many opinions about this. So my, I tell all of our clients, we can give you guidance on, yeah, it should probably be able to gross in this price range, but we don't run any numbers for clients. A, because real estate agents have a vested interest yes. in the deal closing. So if we give you underwriting numbers, even if we have acted in the most altruistic, best faith ever, and it really should hit this, and you get in there and you mismanage it, and it doesn't hit those numbers, you're coming, after, you're coming exactly. after us. Yep. And you as a as a um, investor, you know, this is your money. This is your investment. You need to make sure that you fully understand how to analyze this stuff because yeah. it doesn't matter if it's your agent, your property manager, your dad, it needs to be you. This yes. is your investment, 100%. And we want to pass the buck on that way too often. It's it's crazy to me how many investors are willing to write big checks and they're and they're doing it based on the faith of a software tool or somebody else telling them what that what that's going to produce and there's really no basis behind it. I'm like, really how how'd you come up with that number? Well, I plugged the address into AirDNA Rentalizer. I put it in, you know, SDR Insights or whatever. And I like those tools. I use those tools. I look at them all the time, but I extract different data from different ones to be able to come up with my own my own assessment of what this property is going to perform like because just like you said, if 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 I own a property and somebody else owns the property, I'm pretty confident that I can outperform that next person with the identical property next to me. We do it all the time in condos, right? They're, they they have we outperform the market based on how we're managing it, what we're doing, and you you can't nobody knows that except for you as the investor what you're going to do to create that experience and market the property. Yeah, hundred percent agree with that. And at the end of the day, like it it can make you feel good. To say, you know what, I'm going to give so-and-so in California five grand to tell me what to buy in this market. But if they've never been there, if yep. they've never sat at that Navarre Bridge and seen that it takes three hours to get across there and that nobody's going to yep. stay on the bay because the bay is brown and ugly and the gulf is beautiful and crystal clear, they're not going to be able to tell you that stuff. So whatever... And I'm not saying data is bad. You need all the data you can get from all For the sure. sources you We're can We're huge get. data fans. Yes, but you just have to apply that to the market and the qualitative non-data, non-data data in right. that market, because there's a lot about what consumers want, what where guests want to be, what they're looking for, or, you know, just there's a, a street in the Smokies that if the wind is blowing the wrong way on the wrong day, it's the road that all the dump trucks use to go to the dump and it is yeah. overpowering. You can't sit and eat your breakfast somebody in California can't know that. No. So you've got to be able to take all that data and have an agent and you go visit yourself. Yes. I was just going to make that point. I've never, 24 years, I've never bought a property site unseen. And I think it saved me from, I don't know, you know, countless deals over the years. I advise people all the time, put boots on the ground and go walk through these properties. I, I don't always go walk them before I, while I'm making offers, but as soon as I'm under contract, I'm there for the inspections. I'm, I'm in the area. I want to, I want to walk through that property because there's just something about the feel and the, when you're there on a property that you might, there just might not be something right. And right. you've got to be the one to make that decision. I don't let other people make those decisions for me. I'm, I put boots on the ground on every property before we close on it. Yeah. 100% agree. And we tell people like at the height of everything, when you couldn't come look, 
You just had yeah. to make offers. We're like, okay, come visit once and just look around. We'll show yep. you everything that we can get you into that day. If you don't want to offer on anything, that's fine. But then you at least kind of know yes. what's going on. Yep. So yep. you always do want to, I understand some people don't. We've got clients that have never seen their properties and they're doing great, but it's always best to go look. I, I agree. Yep, I agree. It's a little more, I, I feel like that's a risk I don't want to take. I, I always you know, you, you should probably go visit the area before, like you said, just to, just to visit the area before you might not find the property on that first visit. And then once you are under contract, making offers and, um, go, fly back out for the inspection. Right. And somebody's like, well, I don't have time to do that. Well, then, you, you know, you decide how much you want to roll the dice with it because yeah. it's not, you know, maybe it's not the right time for you to buy either. You know, you, you, you make the time for priorities, right? Right. Exactly. So this is the kind of the last thing regarding underwriting and <clears throat> things like that, that I wanted to talk about. So, and it's kind of applies to this whole enemy method thing that we've been talking about, the qualitative side of things. Where I saw a lot of people get in trouble in 2021 and 2022 was buying, there's a lot of advice out there about buying in secondary and tertiary markets, which works great in some markets, but markets like we were talking about, like beach markets, it doesn't always work. You, you know, spending less money to be 15 minutes inland, that works in Sarasota, that works in Bradenton, but it doesn't work on the Emerald Coast. You have got to be south of 98. You've got to be walking distance. So what do you have to say about, about that? Like you mentioned buying properties and kind of trying to make them be the destination if they're a little too far away from attractions. Like what's your opinion there? Yeah. One, it, it's tough to do, right? I said, that's really tough to do if you're trying to get people away. And every market is very, very unique. And this is another reason why. One, you got to look at the data. There's a fall off, like a beach market, like you're talking about is a very good example, right? We know on the beach is going to be the top properties. We know that's the proximity people are coming from. Some markets, it's a if you're a block away from the beach, you're one or two rows back max, and that's your market, right? You get two rows back, is, and then after that, you see a stiff fall off on the revenue you can generate, even though on, on the map, you're getting pretty close to the beach, right? Ski markets are the same way. Somebody's like, well, I'm 45 minutes from the ski market. Well, you're not in the ski market, right? Nobody wants to drive 45 minutes in the wintertime through the mountains in the snow, right? And so you gotta, you've got to be, the proximity to some of those things is a, is a way bigger deal and you have to be a lot closer. Every market's so different. Now, I could be in a national park area and I might be 30 minutes from the park entrance. I might be 40 minutes from the park entrance and I've still got the mountain experience and it's it still can work for that vibe. But you have to, again, be able to underwrite in areas based in, and sometimes you can't even do it zip code wise because the zip codes are too large that they encompass too, much, too many properties. You got to be able to really underwrite like street by street on these properties in these areas because there is going to be a fall off when you get further away from the profit drivers of what people are coming into the area to do. And when the further out you get, that revenue can drop significantly, but sometimes your acquisition price doesn't drop accordingly. Other areas, you might see a really stiff drop in acquisition price and the revenue doesn't drop that much. And so that might be that might be a really a really good opportunity in some markets. In other markets, it's going to kill you, 
And so, again, it's understanding that these things all matter and these things make a big difference and why you need to look at that and consider that when you're underwriting the properties. I had somebody, I live in Park City area and in, in the mountains in Utah and Park City's a class A resort town. It's really expensive to buy here. So somebody, one of our, one of my mastermind students said, hey, listen, I bought in Heber and it's right there. I bought for a fraction of the price and they underwrote it. They sent us over the numbers and they're looking at it and it's Park City numbers. I said, that it's not going to, they're like, well, it's only 15 minutes away. I said, it doesn't matter. It's not Park City. First of all, it's not Park City address. Second of all, you're underwriting against all these, you know, 10, 15, $20 million homes that are ski and ski out. You're not going to make that on a million dollar house that's not on a ski hill, right? And so it's and so it's understanding that, you know, logically they're like, well, it's 15 minutes away. I'm going to be close. Maybe if I take it down a notch or two and no, you got to take it down like three or four notches. And then let's look at it this way. Right. And so every market is so different though, Avery. And I know you know this because you guys are in multiple markets and Sometimes that's a block away from the proximity uh, to the beaches or whatever, and you see a stiff fall off. Or sometimes in some national park areas, you know, you might see you can get 30, 35 minutes away and you're still okay. Yeah, it really is just such a case by case basis totally. in terms of that being okay. And again, we saw a lot of that in 2021 when everybody just wanted to get a property. And for example, like in the Smoky Mountains, you can be 30, 45 minutes away from Gatlinburg in one direction and be great in the Wears Valley direction. But uh, a lot of people wanted to buy up north by Douglas Lake, which does not do well at all. It's also about 45, I'd say it's about 45 minutes from Pigeon Forge. And we would say like, mm, yeah, there's a reason that in the height of the market, there's still properties sitting up there yeah. and people would buy them because they just wanted to get in so bad. Yes. And then those were the first people to sell when things normalized because it was too far away from stuff. Well, and I think the thing that bothers you and me as well is these catch-all statements in the short-term rental game. Like you said, like people will say, well, you need to go buy in these secondary areas, these tertiary areas that are that that you can buy for a lot cheaper and you're going to still get that demand. That it just doesn't that's not how this game works. It's very market specific. It's very I mean, it's really experience specific in certain markets, right? I've I have properties up in on, on a lake and I make double the money my next-door neighbor does and he's got a better cabin than I do. And but and so it, it's really understanding all that. And there's not these catch-all statements that everybody wants to hear. It's, there's not catch-all markets that are that work for everybody. And you know, your top 10 lists that everybody puts on there. And it's like, yeah, there are there opportunities in those markets? Absolutely. A lot of those markets are on the list. There's opportunities, but you're not you're, you're not just going to go buy in that market and all of a sudden become rich overnight because if you don't understand how to play the game. You know what where has shown up on several lists the past few years, and I do not know how it's ended up there, is I grew up in Starkville, Mississippi. It is in North Mississippi. The only thing there is Mississippi State University, worst worst SEC football team. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> Everybody in my it. family went there. So, But it's ended up on these lists of best places to buy. And yeah, you can make great money on game day weekends and things like that, but I don't know. Again, I don't know how they pull some of these. There might be one or two short-term rentals in Starkville doing really well. But you know how many tourists come to Starkville a year? Tens of thousands. Do you know how yeah. much it costs to buy a condo close enough to the university and nice enough that someone would want to stay there? No. Take a guess. Take it. I want you to guess. I would say low. I would. I would be guessing like two hundred grand. Nine hundred thousand oh, dollars for wow. a condo in North Mississippi. In, yeah, no. Way. You could spend nine hundred thousand dollars on a condo in Destin and make yeah. way more money. So yeah. again, you always have to 
take the data, the lists, whatever, yes. and figure out the context. Go to Starkville. There are $200,000 condos, but they're not where anybody wants to be. Right. So, um, and, and, you know, the other one, like uh, Maui's been on the list, a bunch of, a bunch of lists, you, you, you know, how, how hard the regulations are in, to operate as a short-term rental in Maui. I mean, you have to be there and live there as a primary residence. You gotta, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of hoops you gotta run through. How is that on the list is the number one market. Right. And, you, you know, so there's, you just gotta be really careful watching these lists. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And I see, I see people make mistakes. I also see people not make mistakes every day. We see, I don't ever talk about sure. that, but. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of people do really, really well with short-term rentals by being realistic and understanding what needs to be done yes. to be successful. And it's not always buying the craziest, biggest, most expensive place. It's not always, um, I, I like to say this, if you can find a cute, clean, comfortable property in the right location, you can fix up a property. You can't fix up a location. Like yeah. if it's got a view, you can't go buy 30 minutes away, you know, in the wrong area and fix up. You can't build a view. You can build a property. Yes, so yes. my thing that I like, I like to buy in the right location. And if I've got to update the house, I've got to update the house rather than, than kind of go further out for a nicer house for cheaper. You cannot, you can't fix a location. You can fix a house. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, Sean, let's talk about Vodacy here for a minute. So you have a pretty cool mastermind. And um, I would like to hear about that. Our listeners would like to hear about that. Yeah, you know, it's it's been a lot of fun. It, it kind of was just a, an accidental project almost that we started Vodacy is just one and I had so many people asking us what we're doing and how we're doing it and start helping people along the way. And we've we've grown to a, a pretty large mastermind where we help owners and investors. You know, we're, we're all about the ownership model. I don't teach co-hosting or arbitrage. There's other people that do that and do, you know, I've just never done that, right? We, we're all about owning these properties and we help owners walk into the game with their eyes wide open, really understand how to navigate the acquisition phase of how are you going to underwrite? How are you going to choose the location? How are you going to underwrite these properties and choose the right property for your portfolio? We walk them through setting these properties up, create unique experiences, because at the end of the day, that is what we're selling. And the house is part of that, but we can do more to add to that experience. And then we ultimately want them to want them to roll into that marketing phase. And, you know, and, and like you mentioned before, Avery, it, a lot of people we talk about the mistakes. We talk about the bad things that are happening. And it's only so that people walk into the game with their eyes wide open, right? We right. say that we love this game. Like we see it, it's a life-changing asset class for a lot of people. And a lot of people can get into it, have a lot of fun with it. I call them lifestyle assets because we use our properties as well, right? We get this lifestyle upgrade. I don't use them on 4th of July weekend when I'm making money on them, but, we, but we're able to go enjoy these properties. They're, they allow us to buy quality assets in quality areas that aren't going anywhere. And they're really fun portfolios to build and grow. And I've, I love them because the average everyday American can go buy single family homes, Financing on single family homes is easy and versus commercial multifamily, some bigger assets that are a little bit harder for people to get into. And this is a fun way to do it. And so there's a lot of fun. And that's what we do at Vodacy. We just help people try to walk into this game with their eyes wide open. And and sometimes we do get catch ourselves talking about the mistakes a lot. You know, I got I get accused of that sometimes on my podcast. And when we're talking, they're like, man. All you do is talk about the bad stuff. I'm like, you're you're right. We should talk more about the, <laughs> the success stories and the good things. But it's it's coming from a place of wanting people to walk into it and not have because we also you and I both work with people that 
they bought the wrong properties and they're in, they're in trouble and no, no amount of marketing or no amount of experience can fix the problem they bought on the acquisition. And so, you know, the markets only have so much revenue to make. And so you, you've got, so that's why we talk a lot about that on the front end. It's why I started Odyssey to help people navigate those waters. And it's, it's just been a lot of fun. We just, we love this game. We have a lot of fun with it and we see how life-changing it can be on the positive side as well. Yeah. I mean, it has been for me for yeah. sure. You really, you said a sentence there that I want to highlight because it was just great. It was like the perfect summation of the strategy behind investing in short-term rentals is quality assets and quality locations that aren't going anywhere. I love that. Genius. Yeah. Brilliant. For Mic sure. Drop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, and that's why, that is why I love short-term rentals. It's why people always ask me, why do you like short-term over long-term? Why do you, you know, it's, I love real estate in general. Every asset has pros and cons, right? But short-term rentals, they do allow us to buy quality assets, quality areas that cash flow. If we could long-term rent in some of these areas that we're buying, we would probably, because they're a little bit easier, right? We can set it and forget it a little bit more, but they're, they don't cash flow. And so we're able to buy a higher quality portfolio, build a higher quality portfolio, by operating in the short-term rental game. And, and that's what's a lot of fun. Like Warren Buffett is where I where I really got that from is he's always said, I, I look for quality assets and quality businesses because over time, I know I'm going to make the most out of it. I know that it's going to help me build my wealth better than any other asset is if I can buy quality. And that's what short-term rentals truly allow us to do. Think of the areas that you own properties in. Think of the areas that most people are building their portfolios in. These are resort towns that have historically really high appreciation. They allow us to make money, even though we're paying a little bit more for some of these assets, they don't have to be multi-million dollar homes, but they allow us to go in and buy a multi-million dollar home and actually cash flow it if we need to, right? Because they're mm -hmm. not, long-term rentals, you're typically not cash flowing higher end single family homes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And as somebody who does own a lot of long-terms also, I got blasted for this on a an Instagram reel a while back because I said that short-term rentals, single family homes are the easiest type of loan to get. You just go get the, you can walk into any bank, mortgage broker, anywhere, and just go get a loan on a single family home. Yes, yes, you have to qualify. But what I meant by that is it's a lot easier to do that than to go buy a 10 unit apartment complex right out of the Wait, gate where they're going to want to see like a business plan, uh, your entire personal financial statement, which they're going to want to see experience on. And if you don't have that, when they take it to committee, like it's like on a movie every yep. week, they go to committee and say, are we going to give this person a loan? Yes or no. Yep. It's a lot harder to get that than Way just harder. qualifying based on your income. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's a good thing too, because it allows somebody that is just getting started out, you know, it, it, they can, they can get into the game and start changing their lifestyle and financial freedom fruit future, right? They can, they can take that up a notch and gain that experience where a lot of times you're not able to jump into these other asset classes, like you mentioned. All right, Sean, we are to the last three questions of the show All right. that we ask. Make everyone. them easy, Avery, make them easy. They're, they're not hard. <laughs> okay. They're not gotcha. So first one, what advice would you give 20 year old Sean, if you knew then what you know now? One, I would, my 20 year old self, I'd like to set my ego aside a little bit and realize that there are people that are a few steps ahead of me that I can learn a lot from, right? You know, there's, there, there, I'm never going to be able to avoid the dragon around the corner, but I want to talk to somebody that has already fought that dragon a little bit before me, shows me the weak spots, right? And so when I was younger, I thought, I'm just going to go figure this out on my own. You know, it was all just, 
you know, roll up my sleeves and go into it. And man, there's a, that's, that's just a hard road to run when you're, when you're just always trying to do everything yourself. There are a lot of people out there now. I'm just a huge fan of mentors and people that have been down the road before me that I would like to do that. Cause my 20 year old self, I thought I was, I, I thought it was a big deal back then. And so I would like to be like, okay, set the ego aside. Let's learn from people who have been down the road before me. Totally agree with that. And a lot of people, myself included, always answer that with like, you couldn't tell 20-year-old me anything. So Right. <laughs> That's a problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Second question. What is your advice for a new short-term rental investor looking to get started today, which we're in, depending on when you guys listen to this, we're in the beginning of 2024. So a wacky time in real estate. Yeah. One, take the time on the front end to really identify what your property goals are. Really, what is the outcome? Am I trying to build a crazy amount of passive income? Am I trying to build long-term wealth? Like really identify what you're trying to do with your portfolio and then make sure that this asset class, short-term rentals are going to help you get there faster than something else, right? And so I think that somebody that's new in the game, uh, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in making sure you choose the right passive income vehicle. And, and, because sometimes short-term rentals are going to help you get there faster. Sometimes they're not, right? And so I believe they will, but it's a lot easier to hit the goal if you really identify it and make sure you got the right vehicle to, to get there. And then once you do, then really assess your time, money, and knowledge that you have available, right? Where are you starting at? Do you need to get that mentor? Do you need to have somebody help you down the road? Is it going to help you accelerate your progress? You know, just, just identifying the road ahead is going to help you so much. You know, you're just going to accelerate so much faster if you do that in the very beginning versus just trying to ride the wave, right? Just kind of bouncing mm -hmm. around and seeing what happens along the way. So if you're brand new into it, really identify where you're going and if this is the right vehicle for you. Great advice. And last one, a little more fun. What's your favorite book that's impacted your mindset? My favorite book is Relentless and Winning. Both of them, it's uh, Tim Grover, um, winning okay. is, um, the, I like both of them. They kind of go together. Okay. Um, it is, it's just, it, he, he was the trainer, head trainer for Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Um, and, and really talks about the difficulties to operate at a high level and what it takes and how hard it is and kind of the dark side of winning, the dark side of really going out and, and chasing your dreams and being able to overcome it and, and go through it. And I love those two books. Those are probably my two favorites by far. I have never heard of either of those. I'm going to go put those on my list right oh, now. Oh yeah. Go. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't, I like, I do mostly listening to books, but I've listened to both of those at least a dozen times. They're, they're okay. great books. Yeah. All right. I'm going to put those on, on my audible. I try, I really like reading books, but I just, the way life is right now with two little kids and everything, yeah. you just don't have the time. So I love yeah. Audible. That's that was yeah. a game changer. Yeah, go go Tim Grover and uh, with winning and relentless. He wrote relentless first and winning is the second one. Okay, I will definitely check those out. Awesome. All right. Well, Sean, thank you so so much for coming on. If our listeners want to follow you on social media, get a hold of you. How do they do that? Yeah, it's it's Vodacy Sean Moore on social media, on Instagram, YouTube, wherever at. And then you can just go to vodacy.com and you'll you'll find us there. And we in and, and links to our our social platforms are there. That might be the easiest. And we've got we've got a lot of resources that people can check out on vodacy.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Great conversation. Really, really excited to have you. I don't know why it took this long. I know. I, I'm I'm so excited that we finally got we we broke the ice and now we're we're we're, we're going to be you know you're going to be on my podcast here. We've already got it scheduled, so I'm looking forward to another conversation and and then also seeing you next week. 
Yeah, me too. We'll see. Uh, guys, uh, well, I think this will be, this airs after. Maybe you will have just seen both of us at uh, Build Short Term Rental Wealth Con. Hopefully you will have come up and said hello and we will have been able to to chat with you and have a conversation and um, we'll see you guys, catch you guys later. Cheers.